This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to the Renegade Report. I'm Jonathan. And Ramon is present. And um, yeah, um, ANC is in crisis and somehow this is our fault. Well, yeah. our problem as well. Well, it's always our freaking problem because they, uh, they control things, don't they? As they're showing. Well, they think they do. Everyone else gets along fine. You work at a government hospital. Everyone was there today as far as I'm aware. Um, yes, luckily, uh, luckily I'm, I'm, I'm rotating out at the moment. So, so I haven't seen the chaos for a while. But I mean, I was at the traffic department this morning. Everyone was present. I didn't get what I wanted, which was expected. But <laughs> that's the part that's, about them running things. That's though, nothing new. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, um, a bit of controversy because, of course, in 110 shows or 120 shows we have had now two. That's actually less um, than 100. Um, no, no, two years. Two years. In March. You know, in a hundred shows, call it, uh, we've had two Zionists, so two percent, and two. Where by Zionists, I mean people who mention Israel more than once. Uh, so lots of upsetness about that. But don't we have a Zionist every week, Jonathan? Well, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, you're here. You're a Zionist. I'm, our, I'm a our guest today is a Zionist. Um, and and so every week it's a Zionist. If you don't like Zionists, uh, don't listen to the show. Uh, <laughs> but no, we're gonna, seriously, we're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, and should we get on to our guest? Because by the time you're listening to this, we probably have a new president. Um, and all the shit we could talk about today has already happened. Uh, hopefully they've arrested the old guy, but I, I think that's probably moving too far. So right on to more interesting things. Our guest for the day, none other, he needs no introduction really, but uh, is none other than Rich Mulholland, who we had on the show before. Uh, Rich, do you want to intro yourself? No, I'm a regular listener to the show. I really enjoy it. I enjoy arguing with you guys online, and sometimes it's nice to do it in voice. If you don't know, Rich is a prominent speaker, and... Uh, what does your company do? Pacific, we, we help organizations yes. create and deliver uh, effective presentations. Sorry, I didn't want to get it wrong, but... Uh, yeah, so yeah. we work in the presentation space. We work on the design and delivery of really shit-hot messages. Yeah, and uh, if you haven't uh, yet, Rich also is on YouTube uh, and uh, weekly gives a sort of message on YouTube. I want to get into some of that as well because one of your messages caused a, a bit of uh, your... Spots caused a bit of a, a, a furor a while back, so maybe let's go straight there. Uh, you 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 posted um, this link, this uh, story, uh, and part the of the story, pitch. yeah. So part of the story was that you were on a Virgin Atlantic aircraft, and t- well, tell it, tell it. You, you tell it. Tell okay, it so than the story is basically this: I was on Virgin Atlantic. I was flying from uh, London to New York to go see a Seth Godin event. And uh, when I was there, I was I had I was an upper class. I was quite fancy. My feet were up. I was watching a Lincoln Park DVD, and this flight attendant. I mean, she was. I, don't, I mean, I, I'm not sure what the rules are nowadays because people say this is sexist, but it isn't. It's fact. She was absolutely smoking hot, gorgeous. And she was because Richard me. Branson is a misogynist for sure. Absolutely. Well, that's so. I mean, I'll get to that. <laughs> so, so exactly what happened was. Uh, she came out to me and said, excuse me, sir, the girls and I were wondering, and this is all true. And she pointed at two other girls. She said, are you in a band? And I was like, now the only answer to that question ever is yes. Rich, yes, I'm in a band. I know Ramon doesn't want me to interrupt too much today, but just to give context, you you look like a guy who could be in a band. Like, you know, Thanks, t-shirt, cool stop, hat stop. with the tattoos and, and <laughs> the whole look. So 
it, it's a perfectly reasonable question. Yeah, and I was kind of like I had this DVD on and I was I was watching with my <laughs> arms going and drumming and stuff, and it was that live in Texas. Anyway. So, so I look at her, and, but my first thought was just to be honest. And I said, no, actually, I'm a presentation strategist. <laughs> and you could see the look in her face. And th- so this is where I make the joke, right? So I could hear, I said, you could almost hear the sound of her panties rolling themselves back up. Okay, the idea that I was not going to get laid. Now, here's the thing. So the first, so I got into a lot of trouble for that. And I go on to tell the story about uh, the elevator pitch. Right? Just, I mean, watch the video on that. Yes. So you can have a look at it. So what happened is, first of all, it's one of my more popular videos. People love it. Funny aside, I arrive in Lanceria this morning. And as I'm walking out Lanceria to go get my Uber, this lady walks up to me and says to me, sorry, are you Richard Mulholland? I said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like, what? I thought no, this has to be a wind up. She said, sorry, I just really love your videos and I've seen you speak. I really, really enjoy it. And do you mind if I get a photograph with you? And I said, yeah, that's cool. And then um, she said to me, my favorite video of yours was the one uh, where you told about the elevator pitch. I said, oh, I got into a lot of trouble for that one. She said, people are ridiculous. Now, this is from a woman and I thought it was quite interesting. Anyway, I got into some trouble. So the first thing, some guy wrote on YouTube uh, that I'm a misogynistic pig and things like this. Um, do me a favor and go and have a look at the comments <laughs> because I, like, I was pretty stoked with how I won that guy back. You never look at the YouTube comments. No, it was amazing. So I went back to my engaged them. I, I, I joked. We had a good laugh about it. And then uh, we actually ended up, we ended up saying, you know, I've watched more of your videos. I've come around. You seem like a nice guy. Thanks. Mm. But then there was this lady who was the sister of one of my old staff members started attacking me and she started saying you're going down you are south africa's harvey weinstein <laughs> and i was like wow that escalated quickly like, well with due wow. respect you're slightly more attractive than him rich thank you very you can much take that thank one you. away with you less wealthy less successful <laughs> and how many actresses have you slept with and then given oscars to none well, unfortunately. exactly well so how many have you groped the real test is how many no no the real test is how many have you groped you know, when I was a younger man. <laughs> Are there actresses, act- were there actresses yeah, no, yeah. there? Oh, okay. It doesn't count then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so, but here's the thing. So here's where a couple of places where I feel that the compare. It is, it is weird that now I'm not allowed to make an observation. So here was the thing. So after the thing, the, the, the flight, as it happens, um, she came out to me anyway and she said, listen, uh, when we were landing, she said, like, the girl's now going out in New York. Uh, you know, would, I, would you care to meet us? What's going on? I said, listen, actually, I'm married. It would be amazing. But I don't feel my wife would be happy. She was uh, like, we laughed at it. And then that was amazing. Yeah. But uh, there was no doubt in my mind. And I know it seems ridiculous, you know, to look at me now. But she was actually genuinely flirting. Yes. There wasn't a thing. It's like what it was. I'm, I'm well enough aware of that. Turns so out air hostesses are women too. Women too. <laughs> and to make the joke about me making a joke about the fact that we might have sex, that's not misogynistic. That's simple, mm. straight up. It's maybe pushing it in comedic. But it, no comedian would ever be saying anything less you know, I mean, it was it was so tame. Mm. So she started. This lady started messaging female lobbying groups, and <laughs> mess, mailed Richard Branson, messaged Richard Branson, tweeted him things. I replied to the Richard Branson thing and said, "I don't think he's going to have a problem." And posted about fifty pictures of him with scantily clad women, him dressing <laughs> up as a woman, him in a bikini, him yeah. surfing, holding a woman in yeah. a bikini in his hands. I mean, the guy's turned misogynistic into a charming. You yeah, know, if hobby. you go into one of his gyms, he's actually there's a big frame photograph of him holding a woman yeah. on the wing of an aircraft like now again i want to say for um this is absolutely even though we're calling it misogyny this is not misogyny this is a man who loves women yeah who genuinely loves women and who they are and women they love and they and know none of these women were coerced they all have agency. no stories in the new york times right there's all agency and there's all these things 
And this was the case with this lady. Anyway, the, the long and short of it is that we ended up getting, uh, I ended up going, first of all, I messaged a friend of mine who's a flight attendant. And I said, tell me honestly. She said, uh, you know, if, if this is wrong. She said, do you know, I work for Emirates. First of all, amazing compliment because Emirates only hires good looking people. So I felt amazed. I feel so sexy every day when I put on that uniform. I know men are flirting with me. I know when they're pushing too far and I know how to stop it. But if you don't think that we love the attention, you know, of course we do. We're, we're looking beautiful. We spend a lot of time and effort making sure we're part of the mm. Emirates thing. Yeah, absolutely. Making sure we look gorgeous. We love that bit of appreciation. And she said, I feel like what you were saying was completely because this um, lady also contacted groups of flight attendants and things like this. Anyway, in the end, I was the first person I've ever banned. It got so much, started messaging my wife and arguing with my wife and things like this. Goodness gracious, yeah. Rich. I mean, yeah. did, you, did you have some introspection? And did you, from now on, you're going to censor yourself with these impure thoughts that you have? So, so the problem is a little bit, right? So the problem is now, so I sit there with my staff and I look at things and I think to myself, so she's looking quite gorgeous today. And in the past, I'd always, always have turned around. And I'd say it to guys as well. I'd say, dude, you are smashing that look. Like that looks kick ass. And I would say to guys all of these things. But I find myself going up to a staff member that's a female and actually stopping. Instead of saying, you look smoking today. I might say something instead like, that's a really nice jacket. You're pulling it off so well. And I think that's half the compliment. Yeah. Like, why have you done this to me? What's wrong? This is not making anything better. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what they want. That's what they want. That's what some of these people want you to think. They want to create a thought crimes in your head. And they want you to prevent saying things that you truly believe. Now, might there be an occasion if you say something and, you know, people are offended by it? Yes, of course. Uh, the solution is that. Don't be is offended. To. to Carry on, right? Yeah. Uh, I keep telling people we live in a free world, free in abbreviations. We are not going to get along with freedom, I, 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 right? And not get along as in we're going to murder each other. Mm, but sometimes sure. people say off-color things, and that is the cost of living in a free society. It's very simple. But it's also the cost of progress. Aristotle True. famously spoke about argument and rhetoric. Mm. And for them, argument, we, we've got to change our relationship with the word argument. Argument is not bad. In fact, every debate we have today is trying to, I hope, and I believe, knowing you guys, is furthering our point of view on a topic. Mm. It, it is, it, Aristotle said the argument is the basis of all education. Because you're not learning if you're in an echo chamber. You're learning when you take your idea... And you throw it up against somebody who has an opposing idea and they throw something back at you. And you go back and forth, back and forth. And at the end of it, you leave both of you. Maybe you're not completely on the other person's side, but you, you both leave smarter. That's the basis, the fundamental well, basis of education. Yeah, but now where we are is, is take the sexual harassment thing as, as, a, as an example. We have no idea where the line is anymore. So you're saying, you know, you would have said to someone, you're looking smoking hot. You'd say that to a man. You'd say that to a woman. Now you, you stop yourself from saying it to a woman because perhaps it'll be perceived as sexual harassment. We do live in a world where if, if someone says that they felt sexually harassed by your comments, um, that, that's going to get taken as, as gospel, essentially. Um, and even, even now we've got. Well, not really. I mean, no, the, me, the Me Too movement is coming under severe backlash from women themselves. For sure, but careers uh, have been destroyed. Well, well yeah. yeah, even that, that terrible Aziz Ansari piece lost him um, a whole bunch of gigs. I mean, that so, was the so most absurd it, it thing. It was diabolical. 
absolutely diabolical. Uh, and, and so I, w- my concern is, is, is instead of what you're saying, where we have the conversations, and even on that, if, if someone's not comfortable, it's the whole agency thing, right? If a woman's not comfortable with being told she looks smoking or whatever, or she feels your, your behavior is inappropriate, then she should have the ability to say, don't say that or uh, that, that's inappropriate or please don't, don't, don't say something like that. But you don't even say it anymore. So now right. we're not even having these conversations. Right. And a lack of conversation is regression, not progression. Right. Not saying how I feel about something. So this is my problem. This is my fundamental problem with all political correctness is it doesn't make you think anything different. It only makes you say something different. And that is a huge, massive problem. Because if I feel that somebody did something – uh, that I felt was wrong, but I don't want to address it because they may be offended or because it's not politically correct. Then I don't say it, but I'm still thinking it. Then it's well, damaged. Isn't racism, racism in this country is exactly the same thing. Getting in an Uber the other day, the driver said to me, the black driver said, I hate picking up black people. Now, I don't I feel even comfortable. Well. I don't even feel comfortable how telling you this. How do you engage that? Yeah. Yeah. What do you, how do you say that? I just ask why. No, but, but I'm talking about, I'm talking about white people, for example, who will sit around a table with white people and say racist comments, but won't, in, in any way express that now in society and maybe they wouldn't have fully expressed it in society before but what i'm saying is now it's you, you've just repressed it. it's what we always say about banning things right you push it underground it doesn't go anywhere it just those people collect with other people of like mind and then one day you have nazis marching in the street for example um, you know, Germany with the, the neo-Nazi problem, the U.S. to some extent, although it's a very small problem there. But but the, these are the issues. If you're not going to let people discuss things, have open dialogue, you're going to um, bash an old estate agent for making a shitty comment on Facebook to the point that she has to move house. Um, what do you think the actual net oh, result on the rest of society is going to be? The yeah. ridiculousness of the T-shirts. We can come back to that later. No, leave Penny. We've done her enough. But what about the T-shirts? No, the monkey, the monkey T-shirts. Oh, the monkey t Yeah, oh, the, the H&M oh, the thing. H&M thing. I mean, just an absurdity. It's like, we. If, I mean, for sure, if I walked around the world looking for things to accept me, this is a case of people thinking. Everybody, all of these people think that the world exists as their movie. And their lead actor. <laughs> and everybody else is just designing set. And someone's putting in a set piece that offends them. When in fact, what's actually happened is no, they just didn't stop to consider you for a second. It's mildly disappointing. But it's not intentional. Nobody stood up there at H&M and said, you know what? Let's fuck black people today. <laughs> I have a theory that they did do that on purpose. Knowing that it would blow up in their face, increase, uh, increase, uh, what you call it. I'm not, I'm not convinced though, no, no, that it was no. that smart a tactic. If you were going to do that, do it in another way. The no, monkey course. thing, I almost feel that we're giving, cause that, that penny sparrow thing almost kicked that off in a bigger way. Yeah. You know, monkey's a pet name and a thing. Well, and, I mean, you've got kids. Uh, have you yeah, sure, called your kids monkey? I, yeah, of course. I, I, I know kids, no, lots of, plenty of kids. Who no, get that's called a monkey. shitty argument. Basically, if you do trash an H&M store because they got a, uh, a hoodie, basically you're saying that the words on a hoodie are more powerful than your psyche. I know. How bizarre. But, I mean, and which is, which is, but the, it's not a shitty argument in the sense that in the, in the first place, it's not a, it's not a racist slur. That's the we we keep redefining words. We keep moving the dial on on where offense starts. Right. So so now you know you're, if like you're in Zizan sorry, getting a blowjob twice in a night 
freely from a woman is sexual assault on your part when she went down on you. Uh, so we've moved that dial, right? Uh, we, we've moved the dial on, on, on words. You keep saying, is, sorry, you keep saying we, but no, some people have, and we are fighting against it. This is, this is not like yeah, a legal here's the problem. principle. Yeah, all right. The, the, problem the problem for me is that it's the voice of the middle. So when I talk about company culture, I always say to people that in your company, for every 10 people, you've got an arsehole and you've got an amazing person or two arseholes and two amazing people. And, for every, and the rest of the people are just waiting to see whose gravity is bigger. And yeah. generally speaking, for every one unit of arsehole, there's two units of gravity. And for every one unit of good person, there's one unit of gravity. Right. So arseholes generally win. Mm. And here's my problem, is I find that the far left have more gravity in the narrative. So people who are random people will err on agreeing with something because – so it, it stems from this. We, If you fundamentally asked any of us, do we feel sexism is bad? We would all say yes. Do we feel – homophobia is bad, of course. Do you feel racism is bad? Yes. Now, because their agenda, for people who are not thinking about this much, is with, it's on the edge of those disciplines. You know, um, so if you say something that's even big, if I say to you, if I do a gay voice, how's it guys? This is my, this is my friend the other day. Oh my God, you're homophobic. No, I'm not. I thought you were just some Jewish guy from Stanton. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> there, there was, I'm anti-Semitic homophobic, but no, I'm not. I actually just did a silly voice. And, um, and the problem is that because as soon as you attach that tag, reasonable, slightly mindless people think, therefore, this is wrong. Outrage. And so the, the, the far left win because the tags are things we are, they've taken something we agree with and dealt with it in a way that we actually don't. But it's easier to go there because the counterpoint is to say, I'm supporting your racist, sexist, homophobic yeah. behavior. So it removes rationality from an argument and it makes it very tricky. And it's why I think the far left are far more Nazi-esque in their thinking than the alt-right. I think they're far more about trying to remove freedom of thinking and they will do more harm to the world. They're the most dangerous thing in the world to me at the moment. The far left? The, the thought police that want to change the way you speak and think. Oh, right. I mean, I think mullahs in Saudi Arabia are, but I mean, we can, we can argue about that. I think that. that they will have a smaller ramification on the world as a whole than the far left. Do, do you know a writer called Mark Stein... No. He's a conservative Canadian, and he says uh, we'll yeah. be we'll be arguing about uh, gender pronouns while the mullahs send the nukes over into New York City. Um, We're not in New York City. Well, the nukes. Yeah, us. Uh, us. No, no, no. True. Somebody else. You're, yeah. you're talking someone about else's them. circus. Someone else's monkeys. Well, there, there is a there is a sense that we are losing track of the big issues while we fight in the mud about absolute horseshit. Um, we used to be more reactionary. But we're not now fighting. We... We're just censoring. Yeah. Ourselves. Look, That's I, I don't disagree with well, you on I'm that. Not. I think, I mean, so here's the thing with the alt-right. The alt-right don't want to stop anyone from doing anything. They just don't want them to either exist or they don't want them to be anywhere in their space, right? So an alt-right person in the United States uh, wants the United States to be basically full of white people alone, uh, white Christian people alone only um and that's it and if that were their environment they'd be more than happy they could build walls all the way around and only have that ethno state that would make them happy they wouldn't really care how anyone else thought anywhere else um so i do tend to agree with you because this is an ideology that seems to want to spread as a global 
concept and and then absolutely stop how you think stop how you how you act and speak and the problem with the old right again is that if you imagine so they are bad i'm not saying they're not reprehensible yeah we, right? we have to put that caveat in because no, someone's I mean, going to take the wrong at least message. they are funny they are amusing <laughs> great great videos to watch yeah. well, they're so stupid how, oh, come of on. course the memes and that's are great the thing that's the point is that rational people don't take them seriously Right, so rational exactly. people uh, look at that and think, "Oh well, no, I don't agree with Neil." Look, look at the idiots with tiki torches, for sure. The tiki torches, and that's what we look at. And the way I want you to imagine, and how I see this, and this is the problem with the concept of center. Do you know, you know what a gradient is? Like you go from, let's say, we took a gradient, and we went from red to blue. Okay, where where red is alt right, and blue, like royal blue, is alt left. If you imagine the world and somebody describes himself as center, what they imagine is where red becomes purple is the middle of that bar. So there are about mm. 10 units of that bar. There's actually at, at five is where that mix happens. Have you, you got that mental image? Sure. What I believe is the case with alt left is actually the purple happens. So we're red at eight and I said like 10, nine, eight and we're purple by seven. So we're already in that we're on the blue side of the argument by seven already. Mm. Right. So by the time you get to five, you're well blue. You're just you're like light blue. I think you're talking about the Overton window. I don't know what that is. The Overton window is basically what society views as acceptable to discuss and to be part of the discourse. Um, um, so it's a metaphorical also window on a spectrum of sorts. So, and there's various Overton windows depending where you are. So in Saudi Arabia, a year ago, the Overton window was, didn't include women could drive. It wasn't a thing you even thought about, uh, because, well, that's ridiculous. Women can't drive, right? Um, whereas, whereas, you know, our Overton window in the West, for example, in 2018, it's perfectly acceptable for uh, same-sex couples to be married. That's, that's just, it's not even thought of. Uh, but 30 years ago, that was outside of the Overton window. Right. So the window, to me, is still right of center, if that makes sense, is what I'm saying. Oh, you think so? Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying the rational part. There's a lot of Republicans who are, in fact, the far, I'm using that as a, maybe the wrong term, but just for the sake of it. Conservatives. There's a lot of conservatives that are actually not necessarily uh, you know, anti-gay rights, anti-things and stuff like this. So a lot of very rational. Now, I always – and I think it was you guys who said that idea. I think it was you actually who said that idea of you woke up in a coma. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was oh, in yeah. my it's punk me. rock yeah. days, when I was in my punk rock days, I would have argued that I was a liberal. None of my points of views have changed. I'm definitely a conservative now. Like, Understood. Yeah. And, and I get, so I feel like my point of view is the other side of the window. Mm. All of those things. And that's why – it's easier to side with the argument of the left because it's kind of their basic premise. They're extreme. They're like vegans to vegetarians, mm. right? They're extreme, <laughs> but they kind of agree with your premise of don't kill animals. But that's yeah. a good metaphor. <laughs> I mean, here's my, here's my thinking. So I think that, I think, okay, the far left and the far right do exist. I don't think they are a major problem, generally speaking. The only issue for me is that the so-called rational middle i don't even know if that exists first of all and secondly i don't think people deeply care about their own um thoughts and feelings about something most people are intuitive so if you say to someone what do you think about gay marriage it's an intuition they'll be like yeah it's fine or no it's wrong um they can't explain why that's the intuition about it so i don't think they have strong intuitions about uh, about these sort of ideas. I mean, most people never question their ideas. But we are in the top 
literally half a percent of the world that actually question our biases and what we think. That, that, that might be true, but but so it's Jonathan Haidt's uh, arguments as well. You know, the, the whole idea around ra- rational beings and and and. That it's just an innate thing. We don't we don't really think through stuff. The the question being then is why is, um, you know, someone who lives in Saudi Arabia, why do they have just uh, a general sense of the world which is completely different to someone who has a, who lives in the United States or South Africa, their general sense of the world, even though neither might have ever questioned their world, and that has to do with the society you live in and what that society generally sort of gives off, even if you don't question it. Um, there's some sort of acceptance of that and that being the norm, so to speak. Sure. Um, so I suppose the, the concern would be is if a society moves towards the point where the norm is you don't say X, Y, and Z and you don't do X, Y, and Z, that becomes particularly concerning, especially if people aren't questioning. No, indeed. But, I mean, it's very important to question it. I mean, that's why the culture war has shifted in the past uh, well, say three years more to the right, I would argue. I mean, we people do see, uh, you know, these kids on campuses who are crying because someone is saying the speech. They do see that as ridiculous. Most people would see that as ridiculous. But if there was no one pointing out the ridiculousness, they would think, "Oh, shame! The poor person is under threat from something." I think the intellectual sees that, but I'm not sure. And I really, one of my favorite episodes was with the professor from Canada a few weeks ago. Three weeks ago. Um, oh, Janice Fiamengo. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. I thought it was great hearing from her side and almost her lack of give a fuck attitude. You know, like, yeah. I'm retiring. I'm not going for tenure. I can say what I like if they don't want to come. I thought it was, a, I mean, for, for anyone listening, if you haven't listened, that's the that's a real big one. So one of my concerns, and I, in fact, something I almost want to, if I could challenge you guys on something. Mm. You know, remember that thing in mass? You're trying to remember the plus, the plus, and the minus. It was the enemy of my friend is my is my enemy and the or the, uh, my friend and those things. And there's that one that says the friend uh, or the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And I sometimes feel that that's a bit of a problem in society. The people have decided they are X and they'll, it's they'll, a huge problem. And they'll take any point of view. Now, one of my favorite podcasts, and if you've not listened to it, it's really great. It's called the Jeff Large Show. Um, it's how, about, does, how do you spell that last bit? L-A-R-G-E. Uh, it's a, a mate of mine. It's actually a podcast about growing a podcast. Okay. So it would actually be pretty good for you guys. This <laughs> All right. Okay, he runs a podcast academy. He's a cool guy. He's got a great voice. He's a really, really good guy. I met him through board gaming. And now they're amazing people, him and his wife. They're the most probably extreme Catholics I know. Okay, they're, they're very, very, very Catholic. But in the almost the American sense of Catholic, not like I when I grew up Catholic, it was more middle of the road. Theirs is quite yeah. extreme. Yeah. Their biggest concern in the world today is they have to almost apologize for their religion the whole time. Yeah. If you are a Catholic now, so for they do believe they, they just believe that gay marriage is, is wrong because mm-hmm. they, and again, this is the, not the debate for me that is interesting is debating whether their book is right or wrong. They are really good people who do really amazing things. And there are two things. Uh, so gay marriage, is something, but even that one, they have gay friends and they're totally okay with it. They because they don't, it. they believe it's wrong, but they don't want to pitchfork someone because they. For sure. And they have gay friends, but they, they, and so their gay friends are Catholics who don't want to get married mm. because for them, that would go against the thing. It's, I mean, that's, there's a whole, that's a whole thing. That's pretty cool. Yes. But one of the things as well is she is a, uh, they're pretty, I would say, liberal in many ways about how they do things, right? And they're supportive things. If you if you sat down with them, you'd like them a lot. They're like great people. They have good values. 
very, very, very anti-abortion. She goes and she does what's called sidewalking. So she stands on sidewalk. She talks women out to them. She tries to help them. Now, again, for me, I'm not sure I completely agree with that. But I agree with her right to do it, as I'm sure you probably do as well. The problem is, for her, this is now she's a pariah. Now, the reason her whole big struggle was is that they simply they wanted to vote left in the American elections for everything. But now one of the things I don't think people talk about enough in American politics is that America is a very Christian society. And the anti-abortion policies of Clinton Hmm. were simply – that was no longer an opinion now. This was a moral categorical commandment level. Oh, fuck. Well, I I can't vote for you. Yeah. Because of that, because I'm voting to kill babies. That was that lost them a lot. Yeah, well, but you see, there was a shift in American politics over the last decade or so, um, and that that is, American candidates used to uh, be very careful where they landed on these issues. So you would have got very politician type responses on abortion. Well, you know, I uh, personally, for me, but for other people, and uh, you know, the law says, and those would have been the responses traditionally. Something happened in the U.S. where it it, it became so hard line. You had to go one way or the other, um, and, and on these specific issues, and so, and you get ridiculed if you don't, and and it, it's you know you lose the race if you don't, and so now the American politicians are all very much. I am definitely pro choice or i'm definitely sorry i get always get the terms wrong i always say pro-abortion well, no, <laughs> yeah but but so the, the, you know that's the same on the death penalty it's the same on guns i mean guns were never a big thing for the left uh they were always a big thing for the right the right was pro-guns um but until the 90s the left wasn't necessarily anti-guns well the right were anti-guns in the 80s no, in the seventies, rather, when they they banned the Black Panthers from walking around with automatic rifles in Washington, they were against black people with guns. Yes, they yeah. were against black people. Absolutely. Let's, let's, let's. Ronald Reagan signed that. That you know, the great conservative president, he signed the first gun control law in America. Yeah. So, so the point is, is, is that that where they used to be somewhat um, standoffish and nuanced. Uh, now there's no there's no nuance, and I just want to talk about that enemy of my enemy is my friend. You we saw that an example of that this past week. Um, the American media, left certainly media, so that's everyone except Fox pretty much and Breitbart, um, hates Donald Trump. So when North Korea rocks up to the Olympic Games with a whole bunch of cheerleaders who are nothing more than slaves. Like there is no other way to describe these women. In fact, the last time they rocked up at an Olympic Games, um, a few of them went back to North Korea and um, – sorry, I don't think it was an Olympic Games. I think it was something in South Korea. They they went back to North Korea and they spoke of some of the things they had seen in South Korea, like probably electricity. And they were – 15 of them were put in a prison camp for doing so. And, and I've done some reading on the prison camps in North Korea. They are horrific. I mean children – try to hunt rats to eat and they make um, these solitary confinement rooms which basically have spikes facing inwards and if you fall asleep pretty much you get stabbed to death like it, it, these are the this is the level of of, of insanity that happens in, in like North Korea age so, level. no it, but it's it's just not okay North Korea is probably the worst place on earth um, and what happens now is because the enemy of my enemy is my friend um, the American media sides with North Korea against Donald Trump because North Korea is his enemy, but they're your enemy too. And this is, this is insane that what, 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 what has just taken place in, in the media. 
Now, I, I mean, I could not agree with you any more on that. However, there's times I look at my Twitter stream and I look at the more you, Jonathan, but and I think, <laughs> yes, are you just because I feel like you're like I feel like it's so rare that I disagree with you on things. And in fact, I get so informed by you. But then sometimes you'll say something. And I think you must just be doing this for the. You can't actually agree with what you're saying. Or if you do, you're, you're basing your entire politics on they won't like it, therefore I will. And I sometimes feel like, are you being contrarian? Have, have you lost your nuance? Because there's some things where I think you defend where I think there was no real reason to do this, like the rain, like the the, the Yes, we must get on to Cape Town. Yeah, yes, let's talk Cape Town. And I feel like the, the particular statement was nothing but, I mean, I'm not saying it wasn't smart. Mm. It was purely, hey – Let's let's throw a shit in this fan and see what happens. Yeah. What did you say about Cape Town? What did I say? Was it? Uh, I Basically, said, well, I said we're that, all well, suckers. Do we, don't we, how oh, day zero do we doesn't exist. Day zero doesn't exist, and we're suckers doing stupid things. I don't know if I said we were stupid doing stupid no, things. No, I can't remember. But but uh, yeah, you can find it if you can. Um, I might have made made some comment like that. Look. So a couple of things just on the on the point around Twitter. Um, so sometimes there is throwing shit. It's not shit I don't believe, though. Um, but I don't know if you listened to uh, Ben Shapiro. I think it was on Ruben. Uh, I don't know if you listened to the Ruben report at all. Anyway, um, basically, he is very anti-transgender pronouns, basically. And he thinks that transgenderism in, in itself is a is a mental illness. And when I say he thinks, he's not entirely wrong because psychiatry says that it's a mental illness. So you can argue with the world's um, foundation or whatever well, they are it's, it's of, a disorder. of psychiatry. They listed, they listed as a, as, as a mental illness. So, um, the point is, is, is he won't refer to someone by their preferred pronoun. If a man becomes a woman, I listened to his little interview on that. Yeah, if oh, a man becomes a woman, he, 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 he won't call them she. He'll still call them he. And so Dave says to him, I think it was Dave says to him, you know, like, why would you do that? Why can't you just, if someone says to you, you know, just out of politeness. So he does. He says, look, if I was at a dinner table with a group of friends and there was someone there who's transgender and they wanted to be called whatever, he doesn't say he would call them she, but he does say that he would refer to them by their name rather than offending them by saying he when they see themselves as she um, and then the point is is why does he call them he or why does he say he when he's on his show or when he's in some sort of public space and it's because he says that he's he, he he's not giving up the ground on that particular issue he's not losing the ground on that particular issue as someone that's in the public eye and who represents that that specific view he doesn't want to give up give up the space so I get that, and I suppose I'm similar in some respects on, on, in that. I certainly don't have a following like Ben Shapiro, and I don't think that I do. But I think it is important to, in the public space, make these conversations. I've said on Facebook numerous times, Ramon doesn't engage with me on Facebook anymore. Um, but, but people get upset because they feel like I'm fighting with them. Um, and it's not necessarily that I'm fighting with them. Firstly, I enjoy the argument, which you do too. Um, I know you, 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 you get that. Uh, but, it's also a sense of you're not always having an argument for who you're arguing with. You're also having that argument for whoever is watching. And that's why sometimes you've, you've got to say things in particular ways because it's not only about the person you're discussing with. It's yeah, about but some, the other sometimes well. it's not just the arguments about how persuasive you are. And I find you very sure. unpersuasive yeah. for, for, for various reasons. Namely, you only make statements. You never ask 
for inference. You never ask. Just state that question again so I make sure that I'm getting the correct argument here. You never ask questions. So are you saying this? Uh, you make statements. Yeah, but all the, the asking you questions thing. So let me just say on the asking questions thing is uh, – so that's a great philosopher's uh, method of argumentation, uh, which is to catch people out in their arguments, uh, to ask them questions. If someone states something, I believe what they stated. So I can, I can ask questions and get them to restate themselves. That either lets them dig themselves out of a hole. Or it lets them dig themselves deeper into the hole, whichever way you, you prefer it. But if they stated something, they've stated something. I, I take them on their word for it initially. No, but you just state something back. Like sure. There's no, but there's no. Rhetoric. <laughs> but there's no persuasiveness there. You say, you just say, he says X, you say, oh, X is wrong, therefore. Well, let's go through this y. one. Mm. Let's go through this particular water argument, the yeah. water one. Let's go. And we'll take you through and I'll tell you what my thoughts on it were. The original so, tweet, which I tweeted on top of, I think. Dairy Zero doesn't exist. New paragraph. It never did. New paragraph. Stop letting the boogeyman control you. Somebody replied saying citation needed, which I think is, almost speaks to your point. Yeah. Like that was pretty bang smack out the blue. I'll tell you what you did make me do. Mm. Right? Without a doubt, you did make me question the fact straight out the bat. I was like, actually, I've never looked into this. Can, can, can I present to you why? So, look. Let's go through the argument first. Well, uh, it's important. Do you no, understand the, the motivation for the first tweet? Uh, now nuance is important. Not on Twitter, though. You can, you can, well, the problem is, is Twitter doesn't allow for this. Uh, and I, those who are on our Facebook group. Then edit accordingly. You, you sh- well, perhaps. Those, uh, and I think I did make some of the points, but, but those who are on our Facebook group know that I've been saying this since pretty much they launched day zero. And I use the word launch. Uh, very specifically, because when I saw Day Zero happen, I saw basically nothing different to a Coca-Cola campaign. It didn't look any different to me to any kind of marketing com- campaign for a product that I've seen before. So, first thing that happened, um, it but again, lo- that doesn't—that's not a bad thing, right? That could be government learning from so, how one of the most successful. Oh, I, absu- I absolutely think I absolutely think that Day Zero should win awards. I think it is brilliant. And I don't, you made a point in this feed, which we can go through. You made a point that it's changed your behavior, which if that is what it has done and you are using water better, then that's a good thing. Cause I do think water is a limited resource and I do think we shouldn't waste it. So that's not at my point at all. But when a campaign launches, um, in the first week, people go back to schools and back to work in January, the best time to launch any campaign for self-improvement. Uh, when that happens, when all the politicians start using the hashtag, which didn't exist because someone challenged me in that feed on it, and they subsequently couldn't find the term day zero. It doesn't exist before Cape Town invents it. Um, when they all start tweeting about that particular hashtag within 12 to 24 hours, there's a full-blown website within 24 hours uh, on this thing, and and then all the details about how day zero actually happens don't make scientific or engineering sense. So the city says they, they, at the time when they launched this, the city themselves were saying they were getting 120 to 200 million liters, depending on when projects finished, um, from different aquifers and all types of other desalinization, or whatever. It, the city needs 500 million a day, and if they can't get 500 million, the tap shut down. I'm sorry, but that's not how physics works. Okay, you can go look at flow dynamics. I'm not an engineer, but I'm willing to bet can that. Can I stop you for one yeah. quick second? Yeah, that's not what your tweet says. Okay, hold on, <laughs> like, hold on, <laughs> hold on. So, so the bottom line is the taps can't run dry because they're going to have 200 million liters, not 500. So they will have decreased flow. They will have cutoff at times, but 
to me, they won't have a day zero. And then on top of it, they released this ridiculous thing about how they're going to have their 400 water points, their 200 water points, and which breaks down to 20,000 people at a water point, 25 liter uh, things. They don't know how to say how children will carry 25 liters, how people without cars will travel more than 100 meters with a 25 liter uh, drum, um, what people that work will do, uh, the fact that you can't possibly fill 20,000, 25 liter drums in the period that they right. give, etc. Yeah, yeah. So day zero. Let's look at the tweets. This, so day zero doesn't exist. Okay. So, so a few things to me. So, you know, and in fact, thank you very much for mentioning it. There's a thing I feel very strongly about. So a few episodes ago, my, I always talk about the concept of having a victory condition. Yeah. Right? We spoke, we spoke about it. it. It's a great thing. Day zero is a kind of uh, avoid day zero. Mm. Is a victory condition that people can rally. What they did well, that I think you agree they did well, is mm. they named the enemy. Yeah. What I'm hearing from what you're saying there is you're almost arguing the element of day zero. When in fact, maybe the idea of the boogeyman in the corner, right? Maybe and let's go back to old-fashioned nursery rhymes. Don't walk through the forest at night because a big bad wolf will take you and eat you. Now, people told children this to create a concept that, oh, holy crap, I don't want to go in the forest. Because actually, you know, robbers and bad people, well, it's not as glamorous. But the, the end result There's in danger. your head is danger. Do not walk near the end of a river. Don't do these things. Whatever the case may be, mm -hmm. near the edge of a cliff. Day Zero finally gave the scary thing a name. Now, I felt what you said there, and again, to everything you've, there's, I don't think either of us disagree with a single thing that you said. I, in fact, I feel better informed from listening to it. I think that the writing, day zero doesn't exist. It never did. Stop letting boogeymen control you. All that you've done is you've taken people who've really changed their life to try and make it a better place. You've rallied done these things. Mm. And instead of making them want to listen to you mm. for a rational point of view on something, you've polarized them straight out mm. the bat. Even if you are right. Which I think you are. About most of what you said. That's what, I'm talking, that's what I'm talking about, persuasion. Even if you are right. And I don't know if you're right because I have no – I don't care mm. about day zero existing or not. But in a, even if you are right, you're not persuading anyone. So here's the thing. The problem – you turned around. The guy said citation needed and your response was the only citation you needed was for the government to tell you it was so. Did you ask them for proof of their claim? Now, unfortunately, this argument is kind of like Christian's um, – it's, it's does good, God exist? Yes, yeah. does God exist? Because in this particular instance, well, I'm saying I, I drive past dams and I see them low and I know we've got no rain. So I actually have some degree of fact that there is water being a problem. Sure. Uh, I, my, my, the problem with asking for a citation on that is I'm saying the government has manufactured a campaign I and I, I, I have no evidence of that. Response. So, so. Yeah, but come on, on Twitter, if I turn around and say, it's the same as my law on Twitter. Don't blame right? your which tools. Is, which is, which, no, it's true. My law on Twitter is you never apologize. Okay? Never. And that's the point. So if I had Why written- Why is that a law? Why? That's a ridiculous law. Never apologize on Twitter. For it is ridiculous. Because it's blood in the water and the sharks will eat you. It's end. Uh, and, uh, maybe. Okay, what happens maybe. if someone proves you wrong? It, oh, you no, still, apologizing is maybe not the same of conceding a point, I don't think. No, yeah, yeah. you can concede a point. That's fine. That's, yeah, yeah, that's fine. So actually, I actually agree with I, you. My I, argument with Clive let's let's wait for Jonathan to concede a point first on Twitter. Then we okay, can so see if it's I different. I actually buy into this. All I was saying, so let me take you to where I, what I felt the damage you were risking doing as a smart person hmm. is let's say you convince people of this. Yeah. And let's say people on the fence. So there's two sides to it. Okay. The, let's first of all go to the fact that maybe day zero doesn't exist. Yeah. But it is almost, and I think, and again, please correct me if I'm wrong here. 
If we carried on consuming water as recklessly as we did in the Cape, in the middle of a drought, there would have been a day's year. We would have… No, your biggest problem is agricultural. So the, the, and the reason you're probably going to avoid day zero has nothing to do with people following the, the 50 liters per person a day. It's got to do with the fact that the agricultural industry, just since they announced day zero, which I don't know if it's linked at all, but they've dropped their usage, I think, by about a third. So the, sure, so the I mean, long tail here, right? Every bit is different. And what is done? So there's a hmm. few things it's done. It's rallied people around a common goal. So people all of a sudden have something they're doing. People are sharing in like there was a cryptocurrency groups, which is the most boring conversation on the planet right now, right? Yeah, I, I left my yeah. WhatsApp group. There are, there are um, water groups <coughs> and people are sharing cool things. And so, so let's take away the ramification. First of all, my children and myself and think we're using water better, mm. but let's take this outside water. So here's my thing. And I'm actually recording a video on this tomorrow is what it made me look at is to say, well, I, we fill our toilets to half full. We use gray water to do that. I'm thinking, why don't I just get a system that pipes out water in anyway? Why do I want to be wasteful? All of the, the things that I've been doing mm. to save water, to feel like I'm being part of a community uh, and to help and to do this and to feel like I'm doing my small little bit, right? It's like the, the guy in NASA mopping the floor. What are you doing? I'm putting a man on the moon, mm. right? All of us doing that thing. Uh, what it made me realize is the net effect to my life is nothing. Maybe three minutes extra a day showering. I come up to Joburg and everyone makes that joke about, oh, you're having a big long shower? I was standing in my Joburg shower the other day and I was doing the washing bit and I just thought, this is ridiculous. And I turned off the tap mm. because I'm, I'm actually washing the soap off faster than I'm applying it. Mm. And so I do that and I wash my body and I do everything and I turn on the water and I rinse it off. This has changed me. But then I'm thinking, just that small observation around these things. Imagine I take that to my business. And imagine I turn around and say, we're going out of business if we do not save 100,000 rand a month. Where do we do it? And I'm willing to bet you in my small company, we could save 100 grand a month tomorrow where the net effect to people's happiness is zero. Yes. The net effect to people's product and mindset okay, is zero. But, but Rich, do you want to get that of fear? Because, because you know, you guys focused on the, on, the, on the day zero side of, of the tweet. But actually, no, the, the meaning, the side the me the yeah. So the meaning of the tweet is 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 that the government. This is a very dangerous precedent for me, because it's the government creating what I think is a campaign, which is false, based on a lie, um, to make you do things. And, and then write a blog and post. governments say this, record a video. You mm. can take your phone. You can say blah 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 the whole thing, and then you can turn on video and say now. Nah. Let me explain. So do your sensational headline in a follow-up tweet, in a thread. Say that story because you, it's, you're, I, there's not, we're not disagreeing with you, but I'm disagreeing with your approach. Yeah. But, but, so, you didn't so achieve, I'm going to throw this to my co-host who goes, who goes, keep voting on a, mi a million tweets. So who do you convince with that? Oh, no, no one. I'm just, I'm just signaling to my group. Okay, but it's exactly the same thing. No, so, no, so no, no. I don't, I, I don't say don't he's trust not anyone. To be contrarian for contrarian's point of view, though. And there, I thought that was a contrarian. So sometimes a contrarian statement does more. So I don't think that anybody read that and thought, you know what? I'm, I'm you're a, right. I'm a changed right? person. You didn't. It didn't help your argument at all. Why? Because the end point is a good one. Saving okay, no, water. Because you started. So first of all, the endpoint is a good one, and second of all, this is not a—it's a thing. But the fact, the 
point is, is you started by saying, and there's no two ways about it. Mm. I read that thing and I thought, you think I'm stupid. Exactly. Because right? you believe the boogeyman exists. Because you believe the boogeyman exists. You're like a, you're like a Christian. Right, you believe in God. Like that's it's a kind of I don't know. I feel bad. <laughs> they they all are all our religious as uh, an listeners. insult. But that for me is like a, it's like that level of things. So I thought, wow, you base this in an insult. So so I never gave you a chance to explain. I attacked the the very content. And again, you can say I'm focusing on the day zero or even the bogeyman part of the tweet. No, I'm focusing on the words you said in the tweet because none of the nuance or argument was there. And I feel like had you turned around and said, hey, maybe the – I mean, I don't know how you would have written it, but uh, yeah, boogie, be the water boogeyman you're thinking um, is not everything you think. Have you asked this question? Thread video. Right. Listen to this. Blah, 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 blah. Now, all of a sudden, people, I guarantee you, because my, my first response was angry. My second response was I felt stupid. And my third response was, I am stupid. I've not questioned this at all. I've never stopped for a single sec. I have believed this. I have taken every part of there. We've stockpiled water. I've taken every part. And since that argument and tweet with you, mm. I said to my wife, stop buying water. Okay, we're, 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 we're knee jerking to something I actually just have not the, researched. Just on the point, if you want the actual, if you want a much better nuanced argument, then Russ Lamberti gives it. So I saw you and I, I actually engaged so, with him as well. And I'm not, and I, I'm not trying to bring him in on my argument. I'm saying his argument and the way he presents no, it that's is very good. Absolutely bring him in on your argument. That's not a bad thing. We don't have to win arguments for us. We're not trying to, to win points. We're trying to change minds. And if you want to change a mind, if you want to win a point, that's what you did. Uh, you made us look stupid and feel stupid, and actually we couldn't rebut it because we hadn't explored the facts you put forward. If you want to change your mind, though, I don't think that's the right approach. And I feel that sometimes, but again, so here's a tricky thing for you because this is where this becomes difficult. Almost for the same reason that I challenged you today about your interview with the um, Israeli reporter is that you have a brand. And when I listened to the show with her, I felt, oh, that's off brand, right? Where the, where the fastballs, where are those things? Because that's what you put out there. So now there's a little bit of a rock and a hard place for you because if you go in all soft, I'm feeling like, hey, man, you know, underarm. Mm. So I, you've almost painted yourself into a tiny bit of a corner. I'm not sure if that's a bad thing. You know, Howard Stern, uh, Gareth Cliff, like, you know, people do it. People do that. And maybe that's your decision. And if you simply turn around and say to me, you know what? My decision is to provoke people and maybe then see the arguments that happen. I drop the bomb. Uh, a friend of mine calls it a demon grenade. He, he, he's a, I'm not going to mention his name, but he's a very wealthy guy on the cover of Forbes recently. So look at the last few issues. Very, very wealthy. He was mm. one of the top richest families. And he says he goes to dinner parties with rich people and they're all boring. So he has this technique called a demon grenade. He turns to the person on the left and right of him and says, this conversation is really boring. And they say, yes. He said, just so you know, up front, I'm going to say something that's not necessarily my opinion, but I'm, it's going to create, it's going to be like a demon grenade in the middle of the room and it'll be a much better night. And I may have to later verify that this is what I did. Right? And, um, and then they'll, they'll say, okay. <laughs> and they'll giggle. And you'll say, I actually think the to women the whole aren't room. as smart as men, and I don't think they should have the same jobs as us. <laughs> Boom. What? And this amazing engagement happens. Everyone's arguing, shouting and things, and everyone's amazing. He's like, <laughs> and then later he turns and says, you know, Mike, Susan, what did I tell you I was going to do? And they say, no, he said he was going to do this to provoke discussion and things like this. Demon grenades, maybe you're stock and trade. And if that, if you said to me, that's what I'm trying to do, provoke, 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 where people aren't being Sometimes. provoked, that's okay. Then own that. 
but but you, it wasn't the big description you gave me, which I actually wish you had done because you've made me think. All right, fine, fair we enough. We expect better from you, Jonathan. That's why we charge can, can, can we talk about the Zionists? I want to know why we were off. So, can I just say on the on the on that interview? And I think there are you me a sexist. There, uh, there are. <laughs> I don't think that was sexist at all. But um, I think there there are a number of interviews we do where we are a little bit softer. Um, I mean, we were soft on Helen, for God's sake, Zilla. Um, and well, shame if you saw her when she came in here. Yeah, and that, I mean, remember that life. was the day where the DA basically removed her from everything, and she had to apologize for for the something she should is, never have apologized for. You disagree with her politics primarily. You're not a f- so being soft on her mm. was not being soft on your argument, but being soft on somebody whose politics you agree with and whose side you take. Yeah, is not because to me in that discussion, although. We share views around that. I'm not against it. And my mate that I pulled into the tweet was a guy who's really informed me about the situation and changed a lot of my narrative. But still, my expectation of you as a host was not to make her look stupid. Mm. I would even say to her up front, listen, I'm going to take the role of the Palestinian. And so please understand, I'm demon grenading. I'm going to drop you some really tough questions because I want to feel that people feel that you worked. Mm. And when your point comes across, it will be like you've had a good debate. Are you comfortable with that? Yes. Yeah, but Second that, of all, I would have said, blow your nose. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but no, but I think on that one, I dropped the ball a lot. Uh, so Jonathan invited her and I didn't do too much research. And I was, I was Jonathan, that day I was. No, it was not, a bad day, but, it was but, a bad but day. I, it's all but good I dropped, comment. I didn't play, comment. I didn't play adequate devil's advocates. I just, I just went along and even like 30, 40 minutes in, I'm like, Jonathan, I got like nothing to add. Like, I'm sorry, mate. Like. Yeah, it's a bit more difficult. I do find it more difficult with people we don't know. So like this conversation we've had, you know, it's a flowing conversation. It's, I was complaining before the podcast, um, not complaining, but we were noting, um, that, you know, what Joe Rogan does and, and, and we've in some ways, uh, we've, we've obviously tried to take some of his model. Um, it hasn't worked out completely. And I don't know if it's because South Africans aren't really good. The minute they get in front of this microphone thing, then it's like, it's an interview. So everyone gets like really stiff and they get really serious. You're not that guy. Okay. But, but which is why we can have this conversation. And I mean, we're an hour in and I'm not nearly finished having this conversation. Wow. It's a two parter. Um, so, so no, screw that. They can listen for longer. Um, but the, the point is, 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 is that, you know, we, we, we want to have that type of conversation when you have a new person on or someone you, you don't know from a bar of soap, uh, you know, because contrary to popular belief, I don't know all the Jews in Israel. Um, but but then it becomes a bit more difficult. As soon as you don't know someone, it's harder to give them the hardball. But I like that um, idea of telling them upfront, yeah. I'm I'm going to throw some stuff at you. I'm not trying to put you off. And to say to them, understand this is why I'm doing it. That if I don't, that was my argument to that BCX disrupt. I stood up and said, Let's, but also the kind of questions. BCX disrupt. I was a speaker there. They stood Thank up. God, because everyone else was. Yeah. But they were stood up. I, you know, for my, it's amazing how your expectations change on everything. Will I am, I had no thought for. I have now so much time for him. He was an amazing guy. Speaking to him and the functions and stuff, it was absolutely phenomenal. 
Malcolm Gladwell, who I loved, I felt was like, oh, not such a nice guy. But anyway, the Q&A with them, they kept on asking them questions, softball questions about what do you think about Africa? I actually stood up and I said, guys, can we please stop asking people who don't live here, who don't know what's going on, what they think about the nation in which we do? Second of all, we are business owners from South Africa who've paid a lot of money to be in a conference talking about how it will affect our business. This is not a United Nations conference trying to solve <laughs> Africa's problems. So can we rather just ask these very, very smart individuals, what are the cool things they think about at night? Right? What are the things that wake them up in the morning excited? And let them share their stories. We're smart enough to infer stuff. But you need to be – softball questions don't help anyone. And if people understand that and say, guys, we want to be provocative, yeah. we can – if you wave at me and if you feel like I'm going too much, we can backtrack. Right? I don't want to make you – if you're a breakdown in tears, we'll agree up front that we'll, we'll re-record that snippet or whatever. You can say that. But to let somebody get off so easy – I mean she was saying things where I was like, please challenge this. You know, South Africans like boycotting. Oh, I'm sorry. Are we a collective known? Right? Oh, yes. Oh, but you're a husband. You visited here once. You're acting like you're a fucking expert in this nation and its people because you visited here on holiday with your husband. You know South Africa better than more people. And it was comments like that. I was thinking, these guys are letting her get away. No other guest with opposing politics would you let them get away with that. Mm. And my problem is that I wanted you to do that for me. And I feel that that's 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 my contract with you. Cool, it's a blind spot. I take I take it. Uh, yeah. Take it no, on, I on the chin. It. I mean, I didn't play devil's advocate. I don't give a. To be Israel, I don't give a shit. Like really, I would love live. to. The debate was one of my, and I thought you guys massively handled when it got too much. Can we talk about that? I loved. I loved how oh, people the Benatar, were, the how they Benatar, heard different Peterson debates. Debate. When I went to the Facebook group, people. I was like, I was. Well, I was you should so go to YouTube for that one. So someone took our podcast, bastard, put it on here, put it on YouTube, but it created a Reddit stream for a, for about two weeks. I wrote a whole long um, essay that nobody saw on your thing. I want to go post it in that Reddit stream. <laughs> yeah, you should. Oh, yeah. There was the serious. Page, I wrote my point by point breakdown of everything I disagreed with on it. Oh, there was huge. Uh, there was a massive uh, discussion around that uh, that got created. I mean, uh, look, um, Ramon and I spoke about that for two weeks afterwards. It was amazing. You know, we were eh? still debating it. That was um, amazing. You need to speak to my friend Andrew Sher. Have you chatted to him at all? No. He uh, okay. <laughs> I'm gonna he's just what he's doing in the debating space is similar to what you spoke to Spratty about. Yeah. But he's way ahead. Yeah. And he's creating the realm in which this can happen easier and better. That's what he's creating. Oh, perfect. It's no, amazing. We'll love to have him on to, if you want to, so to talk about that. Maybe chat about why he's doing it, what he's doing, and things like this in the space, and what he wants to do. He wants to create discourse. Yeah. Anyway, so that was, I mean, I, I'm certainly the one. I just want to say to you, to me, the social contract that I have when I listen to you is that you will challenge your speakers. And in fact, I want you to fight with me. I, I, yeah, I think you, I'm uh, fighting with you more. I, I, I'm, waiting for, I'm, I'm waiting for you to finish. I've got one question for you. Cool. Well, Shoot. is that I always want that from you because I know that you can do it. And I, I want to feel like the person, I, they must feel a little bit uncomfortable once or twice because then if they then convince me and they're uncomfortable – then I believe like, wow, they can defend their argument against attack. But if you can't defend your, if there's no counterattack, then there's no defense. Then it's just me giving a message. Yeah, it's a monologue. Yeah. Yeah, it's a speech. May cool. as well. Challenge me. So uh, you speak for, as an occupation, I would suspect. Um, well, a uh, profitable hobby. Right, a very profitable hobby. You speak all over the world, uh, or you used to, maybe you still do. No, I do. Now, I used to listen to speakers often. Um... Gary Vaynerchuk and 
Seth Godin and like Casey Neistat and like these guys are really good speakers. And I listen and I'm not trying to throw the baby out of the bathwater, but it is a pile of horseshit. Most of it. It's about finding your creativity, about finding your space in this world and how the digital economy is going to work and blah, blah, blah. It's horseshit, like full on horseshit to me. Um, how do you feel about, okay, you speak for a living, so I assume you have a, a very positive view of it, but when you speak to these people, like, are they actually bright or is it just a brand and you just got to get in with that brand and then you pay a lot of money to go see this brand talk and and you leave and you're late for an hour afterwards and then you forget all about it. So my first thing about the brand thing again, so I've been to TED five times. I've been to PopTech. I've been Creativity World Forum, 99U. The person you go to see is never the person you're thinking about when you're coming home. Right? At every one of these events, somebody will change. Somebody will change your one of your crosswords in your life. Somebody will drop you a bit of information, and you'll say, like this thing. So I have a thing in my notebook. I call these idea traps. I actually wrote a blog post about it today, where uh, you guys mentioned that. See, I'd already forgotten the name, uh, the Overton window. So yes. I wrote it down there, and I want to research this thing. Now that happened in our conversation. If you go to a good conference, there's always somebody who'll drop one or two things. You're like, whoa. I did not know this, and then I write it and learn more about, and then I want to go and research it and then check it off. So that by that purpose alone, that's amazing. However, I would never have gone to a conference to see Bob Smith Jr. talk about radiation in ant farms. But then I'm sitting there in this talk where I was expecting to check Twitter, and this guy blows my mind. <laughs> I need to get dragged there, and Gladwell drags me there. So I was quite complimented. I've had, I mean, granted, no one's going to come up to me and say you're shit, but that BCX Disrupt Summit, the amount of people come up to me and say to me, you were the favorite speaker in the day. I mean, for me, and I know that I wasn't everybody's, but to be even some people's, that was magnificent for me. Mm. But none of those people would have paid the 25 grand to go and see me. So I understand the, the, the draw card of a uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. I don't think Casey Neistat is a good speaker. I think he's a good video producer, but I watch an hour-long talk on him, and I think, wow, his narrative structure is so broken that all I get from that talk is I, got, I get to say I was in a talk with Casey Neistat, and I get to tell a personal story similar to when I was a roadie. I can tell a story about touring with a band. It's, not, it's all it is is a story about somebody famous that mm. I can now tell you as yeah. second-hand information. Because one degree of separation means something to people. Yeah, Casey and I say, he's actually, do you know that his sister is actually a pilot for the blah, blah, whatever? You know, people want to share those things and you get that. Uh, when I was at TED, I sat next to Cameron Diaz. That's my Cameron Diaz story. Like, it's not much, but it's like all I had. Smoking. <laughs> Sorry. She's really wearing that coat very well. <laughs> yes. But yes. now, uh, so, so for me, there's that. Okay, so let's go to the second part of it and the job. So I started speaking. I want to change the world. I thought, ah, oh, the power of my world words, I can say these things. And very quickly, you realize very quickly that, ah, oh, I'm the hired help. I am a cheap circus trick. They're mm. hiring me because I'm funny and different. Right? And at first, I rebelled against that. And then I realized, no, that's the job. The job is that these people have heard boring, dull speakers all day long talk about finances and they want to give them something that will shake them up a little bit, wake them up a little bit. Often my, my slot is after lunch. Right? It's called the graveyard shift. And my job there is people who do not want to be walking back into a conference room, make them feel energized that they're there. Yeah. If the only thing I do is I buy an hour of energy so the accountant can get up and speak after me, I'm doing okay. My, my fee has been worthwhile. But then, every now and then, I'll explain a concept or a theory to somebody that resonates. 
and it's totally left field. And it's just one of the little ideas I did. And it's one person in a hundred people in that room, you know, picked up on that. And then they dropped me an email uh, a week later, a month later. And it's every, like every single week I get a mail from somebody saying, you spoke to me at this conference X amount of time ago. I did this. I quit my job and I started a business. I'm a year in and this is how it's going. I never would have done it. It wasn't for you. That makes stuff very worthwhile for me. That makes me feel like I'm moving someone's needle. Mm. And so when I feel, because I go home to my wife and I say to her, you know, they just, they came up to me afterwards and, or like people introduce me and they say, this guy's so funny and he's going to swear a lot. And I feel like <laughs> I'm just like a, that's all you get. All I am for you is comic relief. I'm, I'm not taken seriously. BCX asked me to be the, the MC. I said, are you mad? I do not want to be the MC. The MC is the person between the smart people. Yeah. Give that to John Blissmas. He's good at it. That's exactly who I suggested. I said to him, <laughs> give this to John Flismas because he will disrupt and he'll be funny. He's good at it. Right? Whereas Dion, poor Dion Chang, who's actually a smart guy. I've shared the stage with him a number of times. And yes, he takes other people's concepts and he wraps them. But he presents them really well. He gives you a hypothesis on them, which I like. But him yeah. as an MC, yeah. him as an MC was just a guy reading a script. And I didn't get anything. Mm. But when I, when I, I spoke at his… Um, he's, not an, he's not an originator. That, that's why. So that talk I did at BCX was very much on that topic is that futurists are charlatans. What they are is they're, they're researchers. Ah, you must have loved that. Jesus. Right. So I said that all these guys do, they have the, the intellectual ability of a magic eight ball. They, what they do is they go online, they re research something new that somebody did. They're all historians because every futurist, a, a, a futurist is Alvin Tovler. A futurist is Arthur C. Clarke. A futurist is somebody like even Margaret Atwood who wrote mm. The Handmaid's Tale, mm. right? These are people who are drawing a hypothesis based on certain cues of the world that they see today. And they're extrapolating that to a, to a historical point of view that they're not saying is right. They're saying it's interesting to look at. That's a futurist. Yeah. These other people are historians. They're reading something that they have, that has already been invented by somebody else. Yeah. And all they're doing Taking is informing you that it further. existed. Yeah. yeah it they, is the they, cheapest they, form of entertainment. They, and I, every time I look at it, I hate it. And every time I sit in the audience with somebody and I watch people go, oh, ooh, ah, and they're blown away and I think, oh, shut the fuck up. But it's, it's, you know, it's, it's sort of kind of very superficial content for kind of Talk radio. Yeah. But that's their job. That's right? all but it is. Lot, but that's what that's a lot a of the what are the lot of speaking. That's what it feels like to me. I see these people pay lots of money to get told that you're special. You just need to find a way. It's like, so look around when you go to one of those talks. Okay, those guys, motivational speakers. I do not agree with whatsoever. So I believe there's a few. We want to create a speaking agency at Missing Link called the the Do Agency, mm. and the Do Agency is very very specific rules. So I've asked Brad Armitage from. He was a guy who founded Vida. He then founded And Union. He's now founded House of Machines. He's got a House of Machines in LA, in South Africa, in Japan. This is a guy who's doing something. Mm. Now, I believe if he's thought of something yesterday, he's telling you about it today that you can put into practice tomorrow. That's practical. Mm. I want speakers who are doers. So that's why I never, ever introduce myself as a speaker. I said, it's not my job. It's a profitable hobby. My job is running the businesses that I run and starting yeah. the new projects we're working on. Out of that, I start thinking about things. I think, wow, wait a minute. I now have a point of view that was presented to me by my job. And I feel that if I tell that to another entrepreneur who is in a similar place, well, then there's something they can gain from this. Tomorrow, I'm doing a presentation masterclass. I'm distilling 20 years of what I think I've figured out owning a presentation company, 21 years. Yeah. And I'm presenting it in 90 minutes. I think there will be value there. Mm. Do I think it will change the way people present? Of the 20 people, one of them lucky. 
Yeah, and and they must apply it themselves as well. I mean, it's up to the audience as well to apply what they what they've heard yeah. as well. There's far more shitty speakers, but like go for the good ones. The Pareto principle, right? The eighty twenty rule, mm. as it's called. Twenty percent of speakers have like eighty percent of the concepts and eighty percent of the audience. In the speaking world, honestly, it's the nine hundred ninety thousand <laughs> to ten thousand rule. Because so many speakers I see at events I go to all over the world. And the other thing is, I am blown away how smart South Africans are. We can hold our own on any stage in the world. There's so many speakers I see in America and in Europe. And I mm. think, God, if they were in South Africa presenting this, they wouldn't get a gig. And people are cheering. Whereas the kind of average South African speaker who's, who's good, who's researched, who's got an opinion, they are, they are the top percentile. The top five percentile of speakers in America. The problem is that America has so many people yeah. and they've got their 50 famous top 0.1 percentile speakers who blow us all out the water mm. that that's what we see. Can I ask on speaking? Uh, we haven't seen it here yet, but it seems like America is currently being dominated by political speakers. Uh, I might be wrong on this because I'm plugged into politics and I'm not noticing the other stuff. But it seems like there's an obsession with politics. And, and you know, so you've got... It's everyone from, you know, uh, Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro. These guys have, have risen in like three, four years from relative unknowns to, to, to superstars, essentially. Um, and they're, they're being paid very well. Obviously, there's the obvious political speakers, politicians, the Barack Obamas of the world. Um, is, is, uh, is that a real concern? Well, so first of all, I think Barack Obama as a speaker is not a politician. politician. He's a celebrity. Right, he's a guy we like. I'd love to have dinner with that guy. He's like very close to the top of my list. I think really? it'd be a super rad conversation. Ugh. Just his ability to speak is. You can ask con- him why he's got six fingers in his portrait. I want to speak. To, I will. I That's will ask him that. Yeah. I want to speak to him about his sense of timing, mm. his delivery, his smart little things. The um, the takedown of uh, Osama bin Laden the day of the the dinner with the what do you call it the journalists' dinner. Yeah. The fact the, that he the, was able to be humorous. So humorous that he endeared everyone to him and then that night take down um, Bin Laden and then go tomorrow and do, you know, walk into that corridor and say, God bless you and God bless America. The genius of the timing, the narrative that he created there, the man for me as a professional speaker. So I do agree with you. He was America's first celebrity president, and he, oh, Ronald he, Reagan. The, the, no, no, but you see, Ronald Reagan was an actor a who became a, a who became president. a president. Yes, he was. This governor, was a Barack Obama a was a celebrity president. I mean, he, you know, for good and bad. Uh, so he's given a lot of stick over how much he appeared on late night shows, for example, for sure. um, and making about his ego inverted commas. That's the accusation, at least. But I do think he ran his. Um, his presidency like it was a film, a feature film playing out every single day. And exactly as you say, he controlled a, a very good narrative um, all the way through, almost taking every single step correctly. All the props were correct. All the timing was, 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 was right. I mean, people, you know, and it worked. People think he was scandal free. <laughs> you know, they, most people think there were no scandals in the Obama administration. There were plenty. Obamacare. Um, I mean, that's not a scandal. That was just a. Yeah, there was theft though. Yeah. Fast and Furious. There was, there was, uh, he used the IRS to, to investigate his opponents. Uh, uh, that wasn't proven. Um, so my point is though that that guy. Yeah. Uh, you could, you're the CEO of Standard Bank. Yeah. Uh, in fact, so I do know a person who tried to book him for a gig and he was nearly yes and, uh, but he just couldn't make the timing. Mm. That guy standing on the stage, you're getting everything, right? I, I, one of our clients 
got Neil Armstrong. You're not learning anything. But how fucking cool. Yeah. To to I mean it's cool on any level whether you believe it's a hoax or not even Neil Armstrong in a conference you're one degree separation away from telling cool you can tell dinner party stories yeah. about cool Neil Armstrong facts for ages and I'd feel the same way about getting a photo with Obama the Jordan Petersons of the world I think that they are getting an amazing world world stage but I don't think they're getting a speaking stage in the way yes they're speaking at universities and things like this but I don't think Peterson is is getting invited to corporate gigs to talk about this stuff. I don't think that's. I still think you're. You are. He's starting. He's starting, but yeah. I think. You, but people will be more afraid, right? Because and yeah, again, at a, at a conference, he's got a reputation, right? And at a conference, even me, I'm like, I think, like, I'm certainly would love to have the guy, but I think that if you chose, if I had to choose between him or a, a so I don't like Gary Vaynerchuk at all. Like, a, like we, like I, I don't like his style and his way and things like this. But I would love to have him come and present at a conference. And in fact, if if I could, if I could be his opening act. At a gig, and it was offered to me, and they said to me, "You have to pay fifty thousand rand per gig to stand up and be his opening act Do it. in a heartbeat, in a heartbeat." Because of course, there's something to that. So I still think I think that there's space for all types of speakers and all kinds of space. The people I have the the worry about the most are people who are paid to stand up and tell you you can do this and be all you want to be. First <laughs> of all, I think it's dangerous. I think it's bullshit. I think it has all the nutritional value of a spoonful of sugar. Inspirational people are slightly different. My mate Ben Saunders is a polar explorer. He did the journey that, you know, uh, to the South Pole and back, the skied solo. He was the youngest person ever to ski solo to the North Pole. He talks about preparation and the power of detailed preparation, where he took his toothbrush and he shaved it right down and uh, to cut it off because he realized it couldn't be that long and he had to save grams. And then what he did is he trimmed it and he thought, well, if I trim the end of my toothbrush into my Palm Pilot stylus, I can use then it I can use well. that as well. And he said, you think this is ridiculous until I did this with every single thing. And he starts talking about these. And so I feel like this guy you walk away with, and he has one motivational message at the end. And he basically says that his high school teacher, his primary school teacher, um, he has a report card in his office. His primary school teacher gave him. And it said at the bottom of the report card, Ben Saunders lacks sufficient impetus to achieve anything worthwhile. And he says, whenever I'm feeling like this, and he said, the only motivational line I want to give you in my whole talk is this. Nobody else is the authority on your potential. And I thought, okay, that's the cheesy one line at the end of it, but they love it. But even if you at throw least, that away, at least he talks about, lots more. Yeah, but you see, there the difference is he's talking about your potential. Instead of t- saying that you have the potential, assuming you have the potential to do anything, which is the problem with you can do anything you want in the world. You can't. You can't. That, you know, it's just a fact Motivational speakers are my worst. That pro- uh, probably… They seem to have died a little futurists. bit to some extent. Yeah, futurists are the new motivational speakers. I'm not joking. If, if somebody comes to me at her office and says, I want to get into public speaking, and I'll say to them, the first question is, what's your shtick? What do you want to talk about? I said, no, I just really want to push speaking. I'm, this is not facetious. This is God's honest truth. I say, mm. well, we can make you a futurist easily. Like we can write you a talk that you can sell yeah. on trends yeah. tomorrow and you could live off this for a year. If you want that, we'll do it. Here's my kind of problem with it. But if you just want to build a basic speaking career up front, we'll turn you into a futurist. It's the motivational speaker of today. People want to hear rad shit about rad shit that's happening to inspire the people to push themselves further. Yeah. I mean, the only, the only, I'm going to end off on this. The only TED talk that I, I absolutely loved was a, a man called Rory Sutherland, who's the head of Ogilvy. Martha in London, who I'm hoping to get onto the, this podcast. Awesome. He, he, he spoke for 11 minutes about what value is and how he does it. He says, well, I travel around the world and I go to, you know, many hotels. And in this one hotel in Sweden, 
there was the buttons inside said garage, which I thought, okay, fine. Then the other was jazz, funk, and pop. It cost 200 pounds to put this in, but it changed the way you think about this hotel because you can figure out what music you want while you're writing it. It's a small, tiny thing, but it creates immense value for the customer. Now, the fact that you've remembered that legitimizes the job of a speaker. Yeah. Like somebody else though. would have been, yeah, but that's okay. Yeah. Somebody else would have been at a conference. You know, I do believe, if, I honestly believe, and I don't know how much you have to present. I'm pre- fairly certain if you sat there tomorrow in this 90-minute masterclass, I'm fairly certain that I could change some of how you think about, change your relationship with presentation a bit that would make you prepare in a different way. That might, mm. You know, I could go for, t- I would be number two. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Well, well, I'll be happy to join. I've been wanting to come to one of these for a long time. I just haven't had the right day. But um, last thing, since you can have a go at me as well, uh, why do doctors piss you off so much? Ah, okay. So the, I wrote a tweet the other day and it said something along the lines of, um, what is it about a medical degree that um, makes you able to disrespect people's time? Uh, so, uh, Graham actually included you and said, you know, you would say, uh, because they are saving lives, and then you did say because of the saving lives bit, and I got that. So here's here's my thing. So funny enough, that played out to the next day as well. So day one, I go to a gastroenterologist guy, and I'm sitting there, and I have an appointment, and I walk in, and here's my problem: is I'm sitting there for half an hour, and nobody says anything. Then I walk into the meeting, and no, nobody says to me, Mister Mulholland, I'm very sorry to keep you. There was a patient with something going on. Yeah. I sit down there and the, the idea of I must wait. So let me tell you where I think the problem starts with. The problem starts with they call us patients. That receptionist, I'm not her patient. Mm. Okay. I am a customer until the moment I'm sitting in that guy's chair or on his table and the door is closed. Mm. Even when I'm at his chair, I would argue I'm still a customer. I'm still answering questions. When I get onto his examination table, I become his patient. Treat me as a customer first. She doesn't see me as that. She sees me as a second class citizen. I write the tweet, put it out there. Generally, people agree. I go back the next day. So, and in that thing, he says, "No, you got to book you for a gastroscopy thing, which yeah. is pretty shitty." Well, at least it's not a colonoscopy. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. So, you know, small mercies. So, I go there the next day. He says to me, "Do me a favor. Can you be here tomorrow at quarter to ten? Now, I live in Big Bay. He's in Claremont. That's that's uh, forty-five minutes in zero traffic. That was an hour and a half for me in traffic." I get there exactly on time. I walk in two minutes before. I sit down there, and she says, oh, Miss Mulholland, welcome back, blah, 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 you think. She said, the doctor's not in yet. He only gets in at 10. So I'm thinking, okay, well, this is quite weird, because if you just told me 10, that 15 minutes as well would have been a, a thing. Anyway, I think nothing of it. And then the doctor arrives, and there's no other patients before me. I wait till 10.30. At 10.30, I actually, I was going to stand up and take out my phone and say, hey, Taryn, do me a favor. I'm going to leave this doctor now because they're doing it. Please send an invoice for my time at the standard consulting rate. Um, and please invoice them for this. And I was going to storm out. Now the, the room is full of people. I walk up and I say, now, by the way, the doctor arrives and he's sitting on his computer. Okay. He's sitting. I can see him through the crack on his door. He's on his computer. He's checking his mail. So I stand up and I say, can you please explain to me why in the 45 minutes I've been here, I arrived on time. You haven't once turned around and said to me, I'm very, very sorry that the doctor is, is being held up, something has happened, and apologized to me for the, my, my time. This was a follow-up on the tweet. So then the doctor hears this, and he comes out. So then he starts apologizing to me. I said, doctor, you know, I'm also, I run a business, I have yeah. a thing, I just feel that you've disrespected my time. He says, I'm very, very sorry, I won't be long now. 
So I sit down, and then the receptionist looks at me, gets up, walks into his door, and they start having an argument that we can all hear. Right? <laughs> so then she comes out, and she says, I'll have you know, Mr. Mulholland. Now, I'm sitting back in the seat. She is behind her table, and there's 10 people. She's not speaking to me. She's lecturing me in front of 10 other people, maybe eight. Right? And she says, I'll have you know, Mr. Mulholland, that this appointment wasn't actually put into my book yesterday. So what I was doing was actually um, logging in, trying to get onto Discovery, trying to get an authorization code so I could save you 3,000 rand. And then I said to her, seeing as you've decided to make this in the public domain and you've now decided to make this a waiting room discussion, mm. your lack of policy and procedure that meant that your appointment, my appointment that was made by your doctor yesterday – that has led me to be here on time, the fact that you don't have procedure to put that in place that has caused you to have to do your job in a rush late the following morning <laughs> while I'm waiting does not give you the moral higher ground yeah. about my 3,000 rand. Yeah. That's what you should have done yesterday. And then she glared at me. And then the doctor came out and then I got my scope. And I tried to be very nice to the sister because I thought they were hating me by there. But, uh, but this is the arrogance. Please tell me you got some drugs with that scope. I got a, um, yeah, Dormican. Yeah. It's the it's the it's the, my my frustration is and my friend Jed who owns a really big medical business he says that in his practice they mm. only deal with CEOs it's an executive care wellness center he says we treat these people the same way they would be treated if they went to another meeting yeah and if we have to figure it out and they're running late we do everything that you would do if I'm running late to a meeting in my office yeah. I phone my assistant I say apologize profusely take them on tour get them some tea get some biscuits chat to them keep them busy I'll be right there and apologize. Yeah. That's my problem. Okay. So I actually don't have an argument against that. I think that. Oh, uh, it's a miracle. I, I, it's a miracle. Richard. He, yeah, performed Ramon, a miracle you know, you, you sure you know could, could you not interrupt, Ramon? Because <laughs> this podcast is ruined by your interruptions. Um, <laughs> so I, 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 I don't, don't disagree. I think that uh, the medical profession could be far more um, customer based, as you, as you say. Um, and. Look, things happen, and that's generally the reason why you're waiting. Uh, but uh, I do think that there's not enough focus on people as customers. One of the problems we have in South Africa, for example, is we have no we ha we have a restriction on the market, so um, doctors aren't allowed to advertise in any way whatsoever because the Health Professions Council says that that is essentially illegal. Um, so. You go to. You can advertise a practice. There's a loophole. There's a guy who won it. My dentist, Dr. Geisternecker, was actually taken. He went to the European Defense Fund and he said, no, no, I didn't. I've, I've advertised my practice, which has a Pilates studio and things and all of these things built onto it. Mm. Um, you're, and I've advertised my brand, not my, not me as a doctor. And he got away with it. Eh? International Defense Fund. Okay. Um, Fair enough. But as a general rule, guys sure. have a single practice. It's them. Only them and their rooms, essentially. You're allowed to put a sign outside. That's it. So if you're looking for gastroenterologists, you might not know three gastroenterologists. You, it may be more difficult for you to find, although there is the internet. Um, the other um, thing about it is that in the U.S., for example, they've got rating systems. Uh, they can be problematic because they can be influenced by outrage culture. Um, but we don't have anything. Nobody knows how good our doctors are. Like The reality is, is that uh, not all doctors are created equal just like everything in life. So uh, some doctors are really good. Some are particularly average, and there are a couple of shitty ones. Um, and the reality is we just don't have a way of knowing any of this, and we have no method for you to say, look, this guy was really good. I liked him, but 
his receptionist was bloody rude and he wasted my time. So, ref- so more so than anybody else, they're reliant on referral. I can advertise my business and we still make more money off referral. Absolutely. So the small little thing, and again, of something that but, I think you guys understand is words matter. And I think even that tiny little change of word from patient to customer, um, that alone changes the dynamic and the expectation. Yeah, I, I, we can have a. It's a long discussion yeah, about sure. the ethics around around that as well, though. But yes, I think from a receptionist point think, of view, I don't think there's any. Yes, ethics. I think they. I think they should be more customer focused, certainly on the on front office. Absolutely, for sure. absolutely, boys. Thank you so much for having me back, Rich. I've loved this. We can find you on Twitter at Rich Mulholland. Your uh, YouTube channel is the same by the same Richard name, Richard Mulholland TV. Okay, but if you search TV. Rich Mulholland on YouTube, yeah. you'll find it. Uh, Highly recommended, Ramon. Indeed. Uh, was that softball for you, Rich, or was it okay? Did we push back? No, I, I felt that I was sort of pushing with you that's guys. Okay. More. I was oh, challenging you. You gave me the opportunity to challenge you, which I really enjoyed. That's why, that's why we enjoy having you, Rich. Um, yeah, I've got nothing more to add. Cool. Thank then, you so much. Cool. You can find Ramon at Roman Kabanak, myself and my contrarian tweets at Jonathan underscore Witt, the Renegade Report on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Bye. This is cliffcentral.com.